get that you don't really want an ad interrupting your favourite tunes. So we're going to stop. As long as you keep buying Oasis. That's right. If you buy enough delicious, fruity, refreshing Oasis to help us hit our sales target, we'll stop advertising. Imagine that. No. More. Oasis. Ads. Deal? Great. See you down the shops. Hello Pod, I'm Chris Hewitt and welcome to the latest in our series of spoiler special podcasts. This one is dedicated to the latest movie in the DC Extended Universe, the DCEU, and it is of course Captain Marvel. No, <laughs> Shazam. Shazam! 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 And uh, joining me to find out what songs you're listening to over the next hour or so is a trio of wonderful Shazamers. I'm joined by John Nugent. Hello. Ben Travis. Hello. And Helen O'Hara. Hello. Welcome all. How are you? Yeah, you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm good. I'm wearing my Shazam top. Kind oh, yeah. of. Yes. Um, nice. Was that intentional? No, I just put on a, a, a top this morning and left the house and then suddenly thought, huh, there's a lightning bolt in the front of this. This is ex- extremely appropriate. Well done. I mean, indeed. this is a podcast, so so am I. I'm wearing a yeah. Shazam top. You've got no proof. You, sir, are a liar. I'm not wearing a Shazam top, but my underpants do have a kind of no, lightning-style no, no. streak on oh them. Oh, God. I'm just going to leave it up to you <laughs> to decide what that is. No. It's like the Turin Shroud. Oh, If you stare it long enough. What? Please stop. Or is that Magic Eye? Anyway. Oh, we're talking Shazam, the family-friendly favourite from, from the DCEU. But before we get into the film, spoilerific, third-act stuff, all the usual kit and caboodle, uh, let's hear from the people who made it. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, the director of the film, David F. Sandberg, and the producer, Peter Safran, came in to talk about the movie, and I sat down and had a good old spoilerific chat with him. So, yes, we go spoilerific right from the off. So, if you have not seen Shazam, as ever, this is a spoiler-special podcast. Stop listening. Go see Shazam and then come back. All right? Fair enough? Excellent. Here you go. David F. Sandberg and Peter Safran having a good old chat with me. Enjoy. We're delighted to be joined on this very, very special Shazam spoiler special. Put your own exclamation mark in there if you want to. Uh, by the director of the film, David F. Sandberg, and the producer, Peter Safran. How are you both? Doing great. Doing yeah. fantastic. Big fan good of your podcast. So. Oh, come on now. <laughs> Let's start the old Mutual Appreciation Society getting yes. a, a bit early here. This is good. I like to start spoiler specials with the, the big question, the question that's on everybody's lips, uh, which is, at any point in the film, did you toy with using the words Captain Marvel at any point during the, uh, during the montage, for example, where Shazam is given a whole bunch of different names? Not really, because we, kn- you know, we knew that the other Captain Marvel was coming out <laughs> almost in the same month, so, which is hilarious. But uh, yeah, to us, it was like, yeah, let's not even go there, you know, because we, we can have fun with it in so many other ways. And of course, we did have Captain Sparkle Fingers, which some people have suggested <laughs> might be a nod to another movie. Yeah. But no, that was it. Just made sense. His fingers were sparkling. Yeah. Why? Why okay. wouldn't he be Captain Sparkle Fingers? What sort of list did you have drawn up of alternative superhero names? Limitless. Oh, yeah, hundreds. So yeah. hundreds. Yeah. Yes. So many. Yes. Uh, what we do with these things is that we, we tend to start at the end and then work our way back into, into the film. And the end of the film is, is fascinating to me. Not the post credits things. We'll get to those in, in a minute. But the other members of 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 Billy Batson's foster family become yeah. heroes in their own right. Two of those heroes are played by Adam Brody mm-hmm. and DJ. Couture. I see where you're going. With this. Yeah. I see where I'm going with this. Who were both at one point meant to be in George Miller's Justice League. Yeah, yep. That's not a coincidence, surely, is it? It is actually. I had no it idea. Really we were, we were it really is. It really is. It was one of those things where afterwards, you know, it was like, oh right, okay, yeah, that's cool because yeah, now you get to actually be. The superheroes on screen this time. <laughs> and this film is about wish fulfillment, and it ultimately fulfills DJ's and Adam's wish to put on superhero outfits and be superheroes. So it was incredibly satisfying for them to be able to do it. But the truth is, they just were the best guys that auditioned for those particular roles. And then once we were in it, like, 
holy shit, these are George Miller superheroes. This is awesome. <laughs> That's amazing. So and once- they actually didn't know that they were even auditioning for superheroes. Like, like they knew that they were auditioning for Shazam, but to keep things under wraps, uh-huh. uh, we had Henry, you know, he, he wrote scenes that were just random scenes, but reflected the types of characters we were after. So, you know, like like Megan's scene, I think she was uh, with a driving instructor, instructor and freaking out. And, you know, just everyday scenes, but that really reflected their characters. And they were thrilled when they discovered that the role they came in and read for and they got was ultimately the adult superhero. So yeah. they didn't even know going in. Yeah. And it, was, it, was, it was pretty awesome. I must say, it's incredibly hard and uncomfortable for, for me to talk about this. We've spent so long not revealing this stuff. Yeah, I know. And to be talking about it before the movie even comes out is incredibly disturbing and goes against every fiber of my being. Honestly, by the, uh, this is a very yeah. common thing sure. with these spoiler specials. By the end of it, you will be unburdening yourself. Sure. You will be like, You're telling yeah. family secrets and yeah. everything else. I want to tell you my PIN number. (laughs) I want to tell you my bank account number and sort code. Okay. Uh, So once you knew that Adam and DJ were former members of the possible Justice League at one point, did you think about maybe going back and casting some more members of that that film? Common, for example, or or Megan Gale. (laughs) Or Army Hammer. Or Army Hammer. Sure, he's a buddy. Why not? Why not? We'd love to have him in the movie. Get him on board. Yeah, I didn't think he he wouldn't be so great for, uh, for an older Darla. (laughs) <laughs> I think it would have been he, he tough. Has range. Yeah, no, he does. I don't want to. I don't want to limit him. But I think that would have been a tough call. <laughs> uh, before we started uh, talking, we were talking off off mic. And uh, David, you were saying that you'd listened to the to Chris McQuarrie podcast, yeah, yeah. and that that was very revelatory in a way because he talks about how fluid the process can be of, of making a big movie like this. I mean, it is. I mean, we're, we're, we're you know, that that sounded perhaps a little bit more chaotic than <laughs> ours because we, we had our script from the beginning. Yeah. But it's always those things that that keep changing because it's so weird being a director because you have to try to be really prepared, but you also have to be very adaptable to things. And I really need to improvise because... You know, in the middle of it is suddenly, okay, this location you can't actually use anymore. or These things won't actually work that way. And you have to continuously come up with new things and, and figure things out, which is why it's so mentally exhausting to be a director because your mind is constantly going and trying to look ahead. It's like, okay, what's going to go wrong with this? How are we going <laughs> to f- solve this? And yeah, yeah but it, and it was fun to, to listen to that podcast and, yeah. and be like okay it's you know this is kind of how it is to make movies yeah I, and with this one it was you, you said it was pretty much set in stone i guess before the, the script was pretty much set in stone did it undergo any major changes in in production anything that springs to mind well we we did change some things like we we uh, originally the whole third act was took place pretty much only in the carnival and it felt like we needed to get out there and 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 actually show off philadelphia and and that was the thing where you know during in the script his um you know we have this scene on the the rocky steps in Mm. philadelphia in the script that scene was always always took place there okay but then during the shoot it was like oh we don't really you know want to spend the money to go there for just a day or two to do that like let's just shoot everything in toronto but then once we had the movie and i showed it to the studio everyone was like that scene really needs to be on the rocky steps because I, I shot it just on a like a street corner in in Toronto yeah, and yeah. it just uh, it wasn't the same thing. But then we were actually able to go to Toronto and actually go to shoot Philly. It there. Go to Philly. Oh, sorry, go to there, Philly. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Get some cheesesteak. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I had a vegetarian's <laughs> cheesesteak because okay. I don't eat. I don't eat meat. That's but you right. still embrace the Philadelphia, <laughs> of course, world yeah. of cheesesteaks. Um, should we talk about the uh, the last shot of the film again? Post credits things aside, which is uh, a cameo from a certain Man of Steel yes. uh, chest of the Man of Steel. Yes. Uh, was there any talk at one point about that being Sylvester Stallone, for example? <laughs> Stallone? Yeah. No. Yeah. We, we tried to get him, and he was like, "Why me?" Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's Philly. I'm, I'm in Philly all the time. Yeah. No one yeah. would be that bothered about that. But you do end the film with uh, with Shazam palling up with Superman and there had been talk about at one point about Henry Cavill maybe cameoing in this film can you talk about that and what the, what the truth behind that is and what's the idea always to end with Superman the idea was always to end with Superman that that is something we set up throughout the movie so whether you know it's the Briars the bullies talking about 
it, oh, you know, oh yeah, and then Superman's gonna, you know, service dessert. Uh, you know, whether it's you know Freddie opening the drawer saying, "Are you more of a soups guy?" and you know having yeah. the newspapers and the and the and the bullet. So we'd always set that up, and that was the intent at the end. Uh, we definitely talked about having Cavill come be Superman, but we just couldn't make it work with the schedule. That you know, there were a lot of different stories about it, but the truth is, we just couldn't make it work. Uh, we had, we only had that school where we were shooting for a very specific period of time when the kids were out of school mm-hmm. and it didn't work for him. Oh, really? Okay. And, and the truth is, in the end, it works so much better because yeah. it, it, it's about the reaction of Freddy. So you really are on Freddy's face rather than on Superman. So and, for us, it was yeah. the best, it, you know, it ended up being the best situation. And just cutting at that point, you just hard cut to credit <laughs> and it's just, it gets a laugh, you know? It really does. And yeah, because the original scene was just him sitting down and having a little chat with the kids basically and it ended with... Freddie saying, like, oh, I have so many questions. Yeah. But, I mean, this just turned yeah, out it was it, it was a little bit of a hat on a hat. It just kept, it was too much. Yeah. This was just the perfect little button and punch yeah. at the end. So, Cavill, if Cavill had done it, there was going to be dialogue. There was yeah. going to be, oh, okay, that's interesting. But it finishes on that symbol. Yeah, that's, that's it's a, a symbol thing. for hope. It's a symbol for hope. And the John Williams score is in there as well, which is... Yeah, which is interesting. Can you talk about that? That that choice? It's just such a great score. I mean, that I mean, was a big inspiration for uh, the sound. That's the score in general. Like to 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 have it feel like you know old Amblin movies or or like John Williams Superman. You know, very old school classic superhero score, which I think Ben Walfish really <laughs> had had fun with as well because it's so unusual to do mm. this type of score these days. So, yeah, he, he really took that and, and ran with it. And, and if Dick Donner is, you know, the touchstone for all of us and, you know, the the tone of the superhero movies that, mm. that we all grew up loving, um, it was it was great to be able to give a nod to that in our film. Yeah. I've got to ask, who, who wore the costume in, the, in that shot then? That was David. <laughs> sure. Because I'm, I'm sucked a, in my <laughs> I'm available for sequels. Yeah. So if you, yeah, if you that's it. good to know. That's good to know. <laughs> It was actually Zach's stunt double. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay, interesting, yeah. interesting. Dick Donner, for Rissa Millichute, was a big touchstone for him on the first Superman. I think he even had the word pasted up around the production offices as a, right. you know, to kind of nail the tone of that movie, which takes something fantastical and grounds it in the real world. And that's yes. something that you do very much yeah. here as well. Yeah, I mean, it is such a fantastic... So, I mean, it's a, you know, we have a wizard in the movie. So, <laughs> you, you know, you, you kind of have to, to ground it in the real world. Yeah. And, and that, that what, what makes it so fun. And, and and to me, you know, this was a chance to tap into those movies, you know, that I grew up with and, and loved that had that sort of, you know, they had both the fun and the drama and even sometimes a little bit of horror in, in those kind of eight, yes. 80s movies. Uh, so, yeah, to me, it was just, just a dream to be able to incorporate all of those things. You do have a horror background. Yeah, and that's evident, I think, in the opening sequence of the film, which is which is pretty scary. Comes out of nowhere as well, like that car that car crash right. at the end comes I out of nowhere. You'd say the boardroom more <laughs> more than <laughs> well, the I'm, beginning. I'll, I'll get yeah. to the boardroom yeah, yeah. In, in due course, but the right from the beginning, I was like, oh, I know the tone you're going for because um, there's a. Uh, Do you hear what I hear? Which is a song that plays in Gremlins, right? But it's a different version in this in this movie. And of course, you have John Glover, who is from Gremlins from too. Gremlins, as yeah, well. yes. <laughs> so I'm suddenly thinking, hang on, this is Joe Dante. That's what we're going for. That's the tone, and you establish yeah. it right from the off with the origin of the villain, which yeah. is interesting as well. Can you talk about about that also? Yeah, I mean, we always wanted to have that to really set him up and, and show that okay he had the chance to become Shazam basically. And he wasn't worthy enough. You know, he wasn't pure of heart, uh, which sends him down a a really bad path, Uh, which, which to me, I mean, you want to set up your, your villain properly to, to really know, okay, this is why he wound up that way. And this is what, what sets him apart from, from Billy for that, for example. Did you always start with uh, Dr. Savannah? We, yeah. we did. We did. You know, you know, I, I think, you know, it, it's an unusual way to tackle a superhero movie is, you know, to not start with your with your with your hero. But we thought it was a really interesting way to go. And we knew that, you know, you know, we, obviously a great superhero needs a great villain. And we wanted to give him a proper backstory and really give you a sense of where he comes from before we introduce you to, you know, Mark Strong as Dr. Savannah as an adult. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and uh, it, it was it was pretty cool. And it certainly leaned into David's. 
horror background. <laughs> no, it was. It was. It really, it yeah. really was something that you know he, he delivered in a great in a great fashion. And you know, you get to go from that world into then the magic world of the Rock of Eternity, mm-hmm. and then come back out to a really grounded Philadelphia story mm-hmm. right afterwards. Mm. And you you mentioned the uh, the boardroom scene and. I imagine that there were concerns about how far to push that as well. Or were you thinking, you know, this is, this is, we're doing a modern Amblin movie in a way, yeah. I guess. And if you look back at the first Gremlins, for example, yeah. they get away with all sorts of shit in that film. Yeah. So did you, were you, were you worried about it or concerned about that in any way, shape or form? Not really. I mean, talking to, to the guys at the studio was basically like, yeah, lean into your horror background, you know, mm. and, and make them a real threat, the mm. sins. So, you know, when they threaten the family at, at towards the end, it's yeah. like, okay, this is a real threat. Uh, and, and to me, it's like, you know, as, as long as you don't go full on like gore and, and blood flying everywhere you know you, you can you can get away with it because mm. it's like yeah it's like jurassic park or something like that where you know kids love that but yeah yeah you know people get eaten in, in that movie you know <laughs> it reminded me a little bit of the first ghostbusters also with yeah the, that, that I, very I mean, much a touchdown yeah. yeah i mean for the sins you know the yeah the the demon dogs from from ghostbusters with their glowing red eyes and things like that were a huge inspiration mm. you talked there about setting up dr savannah and he's interesting because because of that boardroom scene and the the actions that he takes in that boardroom scene and he remains throughout the film deadly straight and this is what he wants and there's that great joke towards the end where he's making his great speech he's pontificating Mm -hmm. Shazam can't hear a thing he says which is a guy I've always wanted to see in a film so well done for that (laughs) but otherwise you play him straight and the tone of the movie with Shazam and Freddy is different from the movie with Dr. Zafanik yeah again it's I think it's important to have that real threat so you don't play everything lighthearted or you know to have everything goofy because then yeah you don't feel feel the stakes yeah and uh, yeah trying to make Savannah's story be a little bit more horror-ish even going so far as 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 with the score with with Ben it's like yeah make it a little darker you know whenever he's uh, on screen but of course you still have a fight in a toy store sure Sure. (laughs) involving DC characters yeah Yeah. in their in uh, in their stuffed which, and uh, <laughs> plastic so, forms. Which is so awesome to build. I mean, we built that toy store in an actual mall uh, and had it all to ourselves and could destroy and do whatever we want to. And yeah, filled with, uh, with DC toys. Um, which you don't have to get clearance for, which is great. Yeah. It was no. a luxury. It was truly a luxury. <laughs> but we were sort of, it was important to like, okay, we, we don't have, we won't have characters that haven't been introduced in the uh-huh. DC cinematic universe yet. Okay. Or like, yeah. you know, because they had these like, toys with like Lex Luthor and it's like I don't know if they'd have toys of that guy right. when he's real you <laughs> yeah. know like so we would take those out and, oh uh, okay am I missing any easter eggs I, I, I've only been able to see the film once tons. so far tons because <laughs> yeah. there's iconography of Superman and Batman dotted all the way through the film but are, are Lewis yeah. the two main characters or is there anything else I'm, I'm missing out there's a little Watchmen reference in there and the, okay. there's some really old school Captain Marvel easter eggs that only a few people will get and one of them being Jeff Johns Probably. Yeah, yeah. There are some relics in the Rock of Eternity that you would have to be a true aficionado okay. to to pick up, but they're there. Okay, and you know they're very evident. But okay. to really know what they are, you know, we had to dig pretty deep. And there's even a certain creepy doll in the background. No, yes, yeah. really. Yeah, yeah you missed in the that. pawn shop. <laughs> yeah. Okay, well that's it. This is this is a movie designed for a second viewing. A and third, a third viewing. viewing. Sure. <laughs> Fourth, viewing. Fourth viewing. We encourage you to do that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the uh, the Toy Story scene, though, has uh, the brilliant nod to Big. Now, obviously, there's been comparisons to Big all, I guess, from the, the, the moment this movie came into being. Yeah. yeah. And that's obviously you leaning into that in a, in a pardon the pun, yeah. big way. Yeah. yeah. No, I mean, that, that. yeah, right from the start. I mean, we were talking about this movie being big, but with superpowers. Of course, we wanted to reference that in some way and, and have fun with it. Yeah, that but that moment has been in there from the get go. It was just something that we thought would be incredibly fun to uh, yeah. to play with. And afterwards, it's like, oh shit, we could have had one of those Soltar machines <laughs> at the carnival, and we missed that opportunity. I thought you might have that actually, yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's tell yeah. stick it in for the Blu-ray. Yeah. Sure, <laughs> yeah, sure, why easily, not? Easily doable. Is there a moment when you had Sacri uh, and Mark Strong doing chopsticks on the piano? <laughs> yes. You know, the, yeah, there's B-roll of Zach. Do, Everyone playing was playing that. I think he, I think he might have been playing yeah. chopsticks, though. Yeah, I'm sure he was. <laughs> yeah, I think, I, think, I think he was doing that. That's the way to go. He's a very talented musician, our Zach. Uh, yeah, yeah. He, he strikes me as one of those guys who'd be good at everything. He can really, kind of do everything. Really yeah. annoying. Great singer. 
Yeah. Uh, great singer. Great. The ultimate karaoke guy. Oh, really? You, you want to go to karaoke with Zach Levi. He's <laughs> sensational. So we talked about how Dr. Savannah's storyline is, is very, very straight and has very dark elements as well. I mean, he has his father killed. Interestingly, he doesn't kill his father himself, mm. really. He has a proxy to it. Uh, he kills his brother in pretty unceremonious fashion as yeah. well. But also the storyline with Billy and his real mother yeah. is very dark as well ends in a surprising fashion her rejection of him is very interesting yeah I mean in, in the comic books he is an orphan like like his his parents are dead mm-hmm. uh, but when working out the script with uh, you know it was a very collaborative process in that we'd get together every week with Henry Gayden and, and, and the guys at the studio and Jeff Johns and we sort of discuss where to go with the script and then Henry would go off and write pages and we'd meet up again and talk about it and at, at, yeah at some point I think it was when when Jeff wasn't around, actually, we sort of came up with, well, what if his mom is actually alive? Because that's quite different, you know? Like, it, it's because, you know, you have a lot of orphans in, in, in the superhero world, like like Batman and Superman and, and all these guys. Um, and and I, I, I remember Jeff sort of reacted when we came back. It's like... Oh, so his mom's alive now, but but he seemed to be on board with like going down that path, <laughs> even though it went against the the old comic books. But yeah, it, it was something that felt very different and and could lead to something very emotional and strong, which mm. I, I think it did. But the decision to have her reject him as well, where did that come from? It's really fascinating. Yeah, I mean, it's it's it feels very real, doesn't it? Like yeah. to have this person who say like you know i'm not ready this is not a good time for me like she does not have her life put together you know and she's not in a good place where she's ready to to be a mom and, and it leads into the idea that family is not necessarily about blood but mm-hmm. it's certainly about bond and that you can find families in, in unexpected places and you know you would think that him finding his mother that would be the solution to his problems but it's not mm-hmm. it's in fact the family that he's now with that yeah. really provide him with that family that he that he needed. Yeah, that that moment where he says, "Look, I have to get back to my real family yeah. now." That's yeah. sort of when he yeah. realized that, that okay, I actually have a family. That that, that yeah, these people want him, yeah. and he wants to be with them. And was the idea? At what point did the idea come through that his family would also become? heroes uh, and become champions i mean that that's straight from the the, the comic, comic book yeah. uh and yeah it was interesting seeing people speculate online about you know are they going to do it no they're probably going to save that for the sequel but but for us it was always yeah. the big payoff like that's that was always in in the movie that we wanted to to have them all become a super family and we knew from the first time we screened the movie when you see you know, the the five lightning bolts coming through the smoke and then, you know, here they are in their colorful outfits and the audience cheers. You know, they, they cheer and yeah. they clap. And we just knew that it was, you know, this incredible payoff for the film. People love it. And then people like me go, hang on, that's the Flash from that's the Justice exactly. League and that's so yeah. There's no one like you. It's just you. You're <laughs> the only person What's saying that. What's going on? What's going on? <laughs> There's lots of debate online every single year. The question is asked, is Die Hard a Christmas movie? Yeah. Uh, and do you think there'll be a debate in years to come? Is Shazam a Christmas movie or is it just a, a movie set at Christmas? <laughs> what, yeah, what is look it? forward to that. So much debate about <laughs> yeah. that damn Die Hard being a Christmas movie. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, to me, it is very much a Christmas movie. Because, I mean, not just in that it takes place a Christmas movie, but it, the, I mean, the theme about family feels very much Christmas-like. But, you know, it, it's not like we try to play it up too much because, you know, it, it's, you know, Partly because it's actually being re- released in April, so we can't be like, oh, Christmas all the time. But yeah, in many ways, I'd, I'd say it's a Christmas movie, something you can watch at Christmas. <laughs> and who is that poor Santa Claus you torment throughout the film? He's a, he's a stunt guy from yeah. uh, from Toronto who was awesome. Like, we tried to, uh, you know, cast actual stunt people with acting talent like for for him and for like all the people in the bus in the bus sequence those are all stunt guys uh and they (laughs) did a great job with with the acting as well but but yeah that that was sort of what we tried to do to not just cast people and then have stunt people for them but actually cast really talented stunt people and we had to go all over canada and and wherever else to to find uh people that that could do that that bus sequence is, is very important as well because it's the it's the moment when shit gets real for yeah. Shazam uh, and it's something he causes yes. as yeah. well. Was that always the intention in the script that he he? Has yeah, to- because that's when, when he has to falling out with Freddie. You yeah. know that that you know we see that he's not 
doing heroic things. Like he starts going down this path of of someone uh, more selfish, of, of like just using it the powers for his own sake. Mm. Uh, yeah, so this, that was always the big turning point where there would be a fallout between him and Freddy because Freddy is the one who's who loves superheroes and he has always dreamed about becoming a superhero and now he sees his friend get it instead and he's not using it in the right way uh, I've got to wrap it up now guys but I've just I, I, I've been saying all through this interview that we'd get to the post credit stings at some point let's right. get to them now uh, there are two in yep. this one is obviously a reference to Aquaman yep. uh, which is a lot of fun was that a fairly recent edition was that a reaction to the success of Aquaman or nope. was that always in there <laughs> no it was always in there yeah. uh, it was part of you know for the montage and him testing out his powers it was so f- much fun coming up with things for him to do that we had way too much we had way more than we could actually put into the movie mm. uh, and then it was just like you know, we have these all these great little scenes. Why don't we take one of them and just put it as a as an end tag? And that <laughs> that was one of the favorites. Is there anything and, else we're missing out? I'm trying to see whether we could talk to fish. Yeah. Oh, there's a lot. We we, we, we shot a lot. I'm sure that you will at some point see those elsewhere. <laughs> yeah, but we, and, we shot a lot. Yeah, and some of the things we realized before we shot them that oh, this, we, we're not going to be able to fit it all in there. So one was uh, that they fixed the the Liberty Bell in Philadelphia. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, it was like we can't fit this all in here we have to start cutting some stuff and there were okay. some that were just bad ideas like the super smell test but they were all still fun to shoot <laughs> yeah. they were still fun to great. shoot oh no it was fun it was an elaborate fart joke yes you know? that's exactly right I'm you're in board. you're in I'm totally in this is as would most people yeah. be and then the last thing is that very first post-credits thing what can you say about that uh, who is that talking to Dr. Savannah that's Mr. Mind evil mastermind who's uh, okay. you know uh, the, <laughs> the Venusian space worm uh, he's, I mean he's just a, a a, a great villain from old school Captain Marvel. Okay. And would you um, like to know whose voice that is? Yes, please. David F. Sandberg's. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Amazing. So a little nod to where we might go in the, in the uh, next installment. Yeah, I mean... With or without Mr. Dwayne Johnson. Who knows? That's right. You never know. You never yeah. know. All right. It's been a pleasure. Thank, Thank you, you very much. much. Thank you. Cheers. Okay, so that was David F. Sandberg and Peter Safran talking about Shazam. And that's now dig into Shazam. First of all, let's go around the table. How do we feel about this movie? A lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. For me, it's easily up there with Wonder Woman as the best of the DCEU so far. Oh, Ben, your innocent uh, naivete is, is, is wonderful <laughs> to behold. I know that's a relatively low bar <laughs> that's been hey. set. But I oh, think... Wonder um, great. No, no, no. But the, the, the non-Wonder Woman ones. All right, okay. Um, the, but yeah, this is up there with Wonder Woman. I think probably better than Aquaman for me, just because I feel like it has a more consistent tone throughout whereas <laughs> which is saying something because there's still some kind of total shifts here but compared yeah, to Aquaman yeah. where it was all the movies happening all the time <laughs> yeah. um, I think this had a bit more of a sense of, of what it was okay yeah I, I, I have to say I liked it I didn't love it mm-hmm. I think uh, I'm a bit cooler than some people you're very cool oh John. you're so cool thank you yes yeah, you're yeah. so I, cool so Brewster cool. <laughs> no I, I I thought it was a lot of fun I mean it's the most I've laughed at a DC movie since Martha and Batman and Superman <laughs> um, why'd you say the name this time intentionally um, but no it's, it's 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 good fun it's good fun uh, I had some issues with it we'll probably get into that but uh, but uh, overall I think it's yeah it's a really likeable film isn't it yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm sort of in the same boat. I think I'm, I'm very positive overall, but mm-hmm. I definitely have some issues with it. I think that there were some tonal shifts for me. I think it's interesting because on one hand, I think it's very much a kids' film and very much aimed at a younger audience than you know a Batman v Superman, for example. But at the same time, some of the horror in there is a lot more than we would see in most kids' films these days. That a lot is more like horror. Yeah, that is like '80s kids' film, not naughty's kids film yeah you know what i mean um and i'm not saying that's a bad thing i'm just that is interesting that they've gone quite as far as they have in some respects in this film yeah that start there in fact i think it's really interesting actually and the opening scene of this movie and of course the the meeting room scene which, mm-hmm. which, which i think may become infamous in a weird way for the for this movie really took me by surprise but i at the same time they shouldn't have done because david f sandberg has a horror film background mm-hmm. And this is really going for that sort of Amblin vibe. And as you heard in the interview, you know, we talked about Ghostbusters, we talked about Gremlins. Um, I don't think it's an accident that John Glover was cast in the opening scene. I don't think it's an accident that they used Do You Hear What I Hear, which is a Gremlins uh, shout out as well. And whenever I was 
seven, eight, nine years old, those movies were my world, you know. Mm. And Ghostbusters, I still remember where seeing Ghostbusters for the first time. And I've seen many, many horror films since, and very few horror films have shit me up <laughs> the way that Ghostbusters shat up yeah. uh, eight-year-old Chris Hewitt. Um, if I can talk about myself in the third person. If he can talk about himself in the third person, then so can he. And, you know, that moment where the arms rip through the chair and grab Sigourney Weaver or, you know, even just, you know, the, the evil thing in the fridge or that. You I mean, know. even just the library ghost. I mean, she doesn't even do anything. That's freaking the terrifying. The library ghost is terrifying. So scary. Haven't been in a library since. Yeah. That's a lie. <laughs> That's, no, yeah. You go to the library for an afternoon, clean them out. What have, you, have you got anything else? No, we're good. Okay, I'll be back. In th- you're like the locust of libraries. Do you know what? <laughs> you know, you jest, but I did get told off for going to the library twice in one day when I was little. And I, I basically the librarian, yeah, the librarian said, you're not really supposed to come back on the same day. You, you should what? probably take out longer books. <laughs> it was the summer holidays. What was I going to do? Play with how friends? You, this is how you yeah. got into no good. This is how you <laughs> yeah. got up to trouble. like, go out and do some drugs. <laughs> <laughs> what are you doing? Trying to expand your mind. Get out. Get out. No, she just like wanted me to take out longer books so I would not come back okay. morning and afternoon alright okay anyway anyway the point is the point <laughs> Ghostbusters is, was terrifying to yeah, me as so 8 years scary. old and has stayed with me forever and I think that this movie will, will serve a, a similar function for, for other kids mm. and maybe if that becomes a gateway movie to other horror films then I have absolutely no problem mm. with that whatsoever and if you're too scared by it well, this is sort of the weed from the chaff, isn't it? <laughs> You're a monster. It's evolution, survival no, of the fittest. I mean, in fairness, I think it is a 12A, so they have rated it yeah. sort of accordingly. So, you know, li- people with littler kids probably know what they're kind of getting in yeah. for. Yeah, I uh, saw this for a second time at the weekend with a big kind of Saturday afternoon crowd. And on the row in front of me were some quite small kids who seemed very scared in the scary <laughs> bits. But I was like, uh, part of me was like cherish this experience feel the fear (laughs) and and I think it balances out really nicely because you get those really scary scenes but when the laughs come they're really big I think the first time I saw the film I was surprised how divergent the tone was in those moments but on a second viewing I think it just I think it's just balanced I think it just balances really nicely that the of course the scary bits you want them to be kind of properly scary to an extent and when the funny stuff comes it's really funny and i think younger viewers like i was shit up by um men in black and the mummy growing up uh chris is giving me a death stare right now um but those i remember like seeing men in black in the cinema i think it was maybe seven or eight and being terrified uh and the same with the mummy i think you need those kind of like fearsome experiences but at the same time they were really funny and exciting the mummy i can get yeah why Men in Black? Why was I scared oh, of Men no, in Black? Oh no, when he's a bug man. He is pulling he's his skin freaky. all... Uh, Vincent D'Onofrio is pulling his hands? skin all over his face. On my head. Yeah. Like this. And then he pulls it. But I, that moment is burned in my memory. <laughs> and then when the when he's the big bug at the end and he's climbing up oh, the I tower... Oh, I think he's just meant Tommy Lee Jones. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Ripped on. <laughs> terrifying and everything. Because um, only, only to journalists. Only to journalists, yeah. I did like... It felt like there was a nod that um, one of the sins has like big long spiky fingers like Diana in Lights Out I felt like that was a very intentional <laughs> nod when they're, uh, they're fighting the full Shazam family at the mm. end and yeah. there's that shot where it's the hand and then the, the fingers spike I th- out. I was trying to figure out this time I've seen it three times now I was trying to figure out which sins are which mm. um, it took me a little while so I figured out pretty quickly that Lust was the one with the tongue um, <laughs> and I agree that Lust should probably have been hotter um, um, <laughs> Pride's the one with the wings what? I think <laughs> Pride's the tall one with the wings. Okay. Wrath's the angry, apey looking one. Uh-huh. Greed um, is the one with four arms. Greed has four arms. Um, the ones I had trouble with were, were uh, sloth and gluttony. So gluttony obviously has the giant mouth and the giant belly, but sloth actually looks quite similar at rest. But what I think sloth has is kind of root arms, uh-huh. uh, which sort of makes sense for the sort of growing roots thing. But that took me a really long time to figure this out, so I just thought I'd share that. And then Envy's the wee, weedy one, as he says in the film. Yeah, I need to see it a couple more times, I think, just to kind of get that the differences between the different, uh, the, the, the different sins. That's a cool idea, though. It's a, it's a fun idea and I really yeah. liked that meeting room scene because it was just like holy shit oh, wow. <laughs> he chomped someone's head off <laughs> yeah. wow yeah, oh my fun. word yeah, I thought it was interesting lot. and uh, I don't think David F. Sandberg and Peter Safran really went for this in the interview but I thought it was interesting that Mark Strong uh, his um, Dr. Evil <laughs> he left the killing of his dad up to someone else 
But I thought it was interesting, given the psychological trauma and torment that he had suffered at mm. his hands over the years, that I thought maybe he would have taken that into his own hands, so to speak. Anyone else think it was interesting? Huh. Just me? I hadn't, I hadn't really thought. Just me being at, a weirdo? I think at that point, I don't think he sees much of a difference between himself and the sins anymore, maybe. Yeah. So it's almost, I mean, he's still an instrument of his will, uh-huh. yeah. I guess. So. I have to say, while we're on the sins, I, I felt that was the weakest part for me. I I was a little bit disappointed at how sort of generic they looked. It felt like mm. they came a little bit out of a, a Goosebumps movie or something. I, d- I didn't think there was anything that was particularly new or unique about them. So I was slightly disappointed that that was like our big villain. Yeah, the meeting room scene was, was quite a shock, but I yeah. still felt it was... Yeah. They could have done something a bit more interesting than just, you know, Mark Strong and some CGI. Mm. Um, not to denigrate Mark Strong's No, he's brilliant. Um, they, they look very much like their own statues. Almost a bit of colour might not have gone amiss, actually. Mm. It also would have helped tell them apart um, at times when they're all fighting together. Yeah. It was running towards the end. I was like, oh, they all look different. Oh, they're no, all... but seriously, like, that's what I'm saying. It took me three, yeah. three watches of the film to figure out who was who. It's like the first Michael Bay Transformers movie where you, <laughs> you genuinely can't tell the Autobots <laughs> and the Decepticons apart, which makes the fight scenes quite interesting. Mm. Uh, interesting enough, I also thought that they, they lose their, their fear factor by the, by the final fight, obviously, which is much more fun and cartoonish. And, you know, you know they're all facing off against the different Shazamers. But uh, oh, it, it feels like that um, there is there are those lines of dialogue at the end, towards the end, where it's um, Shazam and Savannah and he's kind of tempting Envy out, mm-hmm. uh, where it's like, oh, so I figured out this one is this one and that one is that one. And I felt like that dialogue was probably in addition something to like point out how different they all are because I think the film could have done a better job of of kind of yes yeah, separating out yeah. those characters mm-hmm. that it felt a bit on the nose those lines of dialogue where he's like oh yeah so I think like lust was way harder and yeah, yeah. Okay. I appreciated that. That was really helpful in my, in my quest. That was great. It should have just cut away to each one with a little little number one, yeah. number two, number three. Helen filling out her spreadsheet in the cinema. Okay. Why not? That scene also has my uh, favourite moment in the film, which is something I've long wanted to see in a movie like this, which is the moment where Dr. Savannah is monologuing furiously. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. But Shazam can't hear him. But naturally, because he's at least half a mile away. <laughs> That's one of the best jokes. Yeah. It's really good. In fact, just as it was leading up to it, I was like, I, you know, he can't hear him of course he can't hear him and it's like oh they've done the joke yes so good well done guys before we get into Shazam and uh, and Freddie and Billy Batson and everybody and Shazam himself let's talk about Dr. Savannah because it's an interesting decision to start the movie with the bad guy's origin yeah uh, Aquaman does kind of the same thing obviously started with Aquaman's origin but then it goes straight into the bad guy and uh, the secondary bad guy anyway with Black Manta and gives him gives him his motivation for the rest of the film. But this movie just goes right away, sets up the sets up the universe, sets up the world, sets up the idea of magic and, you know, Jaiman Honsu's wizard and all that sort of stuff. But very much from the bad guy's POV. What did you think of that? And what did you think of Savannah himself through the film? I love Mark Strong, but I feel that they maybe could have given him a little bit more colour and personality. Mm. That's probably not unfair. I mean I think the I really like them starting with the bad guy for the same reason I I feel like there's a nice symmetry there you know it's the same kind of thing that's been uh, attempted in a few superhero movies I know that hardcore bat fans object to the Tim Burton approach of kind of that sort of parallel creation between Batman and the Joker but there's an elegance to that in terms of storytelling and I think there's an elegance to this as well that the the same sort of um, incident the same test gives you two different outcomes, hero and villain. It seems like a terrible test. It really does. It seems like a really bad system to find a hero. Um, I feel like there should maybe be a you know preliminary sort of round of some sort. Because again, if, you're, if you have, um, I think it's the wizard Shazam telling him he'll never be worthy and his dad telling him he's a little shit, hmm. which is quite shocking in a kid's film, it just in itself. Um, and right from the off as well. And right from the off, yeah. right from that opening scene. Um, I mean, John Glover's already given birth to Lex Luthor. Do you know what I mean? So I feel like he should probably not be allowed to reproduce in superhero movies. It's, uh, it's dangerous. But, um, and of course he was in Batman and Robin as well. That's, oh my God, I'd forgotten that one. Yeah, he was. Yeah. Yeah, this, this is not good. This is not good. No, John Glover, we love you, but no. Oh, he's amazing, but... I mean, we love him, yeah. Yeah. But no. I like how it kind of addresses how bad the test is, that it, it gets to the point where the wizard is literally dying and he gets Billy, who's probably the least worthy of anyone he's seen in the last kind of 15 years. <laughs> he's like... 
It has to be you. It has to be you. This is it. <laughs> That's how I got the Emperor yeah. job. In <laughs> <laughs> I um I really like the opening scene. I have to say, and I think it did catch me off guard because it's so different to the tone that's in the trailers and all the promos. Yes, mm. I think not just because of the magic thing, but it actually reminded me of the opening to a Harry Potter film, one of the mm. later Harry Potter films, where it's this surprisingly dark and moody and mysterious um, opening. There was just something about the tone and the atmosphere of it that I really, really liked, and I think it. I just admire in general how the film takes a little while to get its pieces in in place to to kind of ground the story and give you the sort of requisite background before getting into the sort of fun Shazam stuff. Um, so I, I was a big fan of the way that it that it opened with that scene. That's interesting because I I struggled with the first act. I've got to say I've I found you, you in the first half hour you basically have two flashbacks. Right, you have the flashback for the for the villain and then the flashback for the hero. And I felt that was a bit clunky. I I really like thought, oh come on, when are you going to get going? When what 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 are you trying to say here? What's actually the story? Who's the lead here? Mm. I totally agree with Helen. I think there is an elegance to having the the hero and the villain come from the same place. That that's quite a neat sort of storytelling device, and it it gives it a sort of nice sort of neat motivation where they're both coming from the same place, but they went down divergent paths. But I just felt the way it, it just felt a bit like it was taking a little while to to find its feet and mm. and you know by the end i think that final act is so much fun i think it it does find its pace but i i, I did have an issue with it with the opening i mean it was it was interesting the, the billy batson flashback um I, I like that they had the two sort of versions of that and that they were only very subtly different i thought that was really clever um that he remembers it as this sort of idealized thing where she's very loving and very caring and then you see it sort of from her point of view in the flashback and she's at the end of her tether and she you know is barely hanging on sort of thing so i think there's a there's a really nice kind of parallel there but again yeah it does take up a lot of time and there's so much kind of world building to do with him in the system going to a new foster home meeting all his new mm. foster brothers and sisters um i think all of their scenes are super charming um, I really really like them I would have almost liked to spend a bit more time with the other kids and not just Freddy all the time mm. but yeah and then I think there's been a lot of discussion about Billy Batson himself not least in our own review of the film it, there's an odd divide isn't there with Billy <laughs> which is it, like he doesn't seem very con- congruous with no. Shazam yes because almost everything joyful that happens to him happens to him while he is Superpowered, mm, yeah, and so it's it feels actually quite disjointed. It doesn't always feel like this is the same kid, yeah. And I think maybe we could have done with a little bit more joyful Billy and a little bit more angry Shazam in a way, just to kind of make that feel a bit more like there was a, like it was the same person. It's yeah. the same, but yeah, yeah. It's, and I and I kind but, of I was trying to watch it with this in mind, and I, I do I, I do feel it tracks as one character. I do, but it, it's not brilliantly communicated in a visual way. That's interesting. I don't think it does does track as the same character at all. I think, and this never really came up when I interviewed Zachary Levi for the podcast. But Ben, you interviewed him on set, yes. I believe, yeah, and he said that he almost purposefully didn't really talk to Asher Angel. This wasn't a John Default and Nick Cage type thing from Face Off where they're studying each other's mannerisms. Not that they really do in that movie, but you know what I mean? That's what they said anyway. Oh, we studied each other and then, you know, I was him and he was me and so on and so forth. But it seems to me that Zachary Levi chose not to do that. So he's basically just playing generic 14-year-old guy. In fact, I don't even think he's playing a 14-year-old. He's playing a a 10-year-old who's just full of the joys of spring and having all these superpowers but that's not for me it's not something that uh, that ruins a movie for me or takes me out of it necessarily but that's not the Billy Batson that we've seen mm. at all although something that did stand out on second watch is that actually the first time you meet Billy he is kind of doing bad stuff and enjoying it that that scene where he um uh locks the police inside yeah. the uh inside the thrift shop to kind of and then get in the car and he steals the sandwich and that kind of cheekiness uh that side to him i feel like you don't see that much from from asher angel in the rest of the film but it felt like a bit of a link to where shazam goes where he's kind of like just doing lightning shows for money and like trying to tell take selfies with people and get a bit of cash from it and that kind of thing i I noticed a few more links but i think yeah they probably could have done a better job of of making those characters feel a bit more connected Mm. you could also make the argument that if you have superpowers, you're going to be a bit more perky. 
Yeah. Oh yeah, and but that's what I mean. Like I feel like he is perkier, yeah. and and to a, a fair degree that's understandable. But again, you you still need to tie your two halves mm. together a little bit better mm. than I think they always did. Yeah, there's no sense that, that Billy, once he's Billy, has any joy in, in him really, and and rightly so because it's it's quite a fairly heavy duty storyline mm. they, they they hang upon Billy. Uh, I I was with you, John, in the the first flashback with his mum. I was. Full of kind of questions of why is a why is this taking so long? But b also how does she not find him again? Mm, it's, yeah, you know it's he he obviously disappears into the system after that. But it can't be that hard to find her, her kid. How hard did she look? And I'm glad that the movie re- revealed later on that well she didn't. Yeah, mm. she it's didn't heartbreaking. look. It's yeah. really sad. It's horrible. Yeah, bloody it's, dark. Yeah, yeah. It's no wonder he's not perky. <laughs> yeah. Especially when she doesn't even remember the little keyring thing. Yeah. Oh, gives her the little yeah. compass keyring. Which to him is his she's entire like, world. Yeah. And to her is just something. She's that, like, what's this? Yeah. Oh. I thought the film had a lot of heart overall, actually. Mm. I think it had a really good few emotional scenes. Um, that I think that's something that the DC films are increasingly having. Like, Wonder Woman had so much heart. Mm. And Aquaman as well, despite everything going on. Uh, I think there were some kind of touching were moments there? in there as well. I mean, I love it. I was really touched by the bongo playing octopus. I don't know you guys. <laughs> Moved to tears. Where, yeah. where, where did he touch you? <laughs> Everywhere. So many arms. Um, but it's true. I, I think what you were saying about tone is, is really interesting because the, the, the trailers sort of led me to believe that this would be like a sort of DC's answer to Deadpool, you know? Like it'd be sort of winky, knowing, ironic, sort of we're taking the piss out of the the superhero genre. And there is elements of that, but I think it's, as much anything, it's really earnest and it's very sort of, they are going for that Amblin tone yeah. and for that sort of, yeah. you know, it big, wasn't, big-hearted sort of fable. Wasn't nearly as funny as I expected it to no, be, I'll no. be honest. Um, absolutely. absolutely. I, I did wonder if some of the jokes needed a bit of a punch-up. Maybe there was a few that felt a bit first drafty, but there was, you know... It it was like there was as much a sort of tragic mm. drama, almost like yeah. tragic family drama, as it was a, a superhero comedy. But there mm. were there were some really nice jokes as well. Like Fred, oh, yeah. Freddie, get I mean that that first one about you know being thrown out the window and stuff, uh, and and the you know oh, I'm I a I'm a disabled yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a disabled foster kid. <laughs> you know yeah, I've got, got it, it all. all. <laughs> yeah. I mean he he's adorable. Um, I also yeah. think the weirder you make little kids on film, the more adorable they are. So I really enjoyed Darla and Eugene and that mm. whole sort of side I of thing. I mean Pedro and Mary got nothing really, mm. but Darla and Eugene are adorable. I think kids you know, connect with that as well. Mm. I certainly mm. connected with that as when I was a kid. If I watched a film in which a kid was a kind of you know, straight down the middle kind of hero. Hero. Yeah. I wasn't. Yeah. I didn't gravitate towards that. No. If they were weird, like I was weird, then yes, please, Absolutely. more of that, please. Yeah, uh, and and I loved like the scene with them in the uh, going into the convenience store, trying to buy beer, being very excited that they can suddenly buy beer, and then having no idea what kind of beer to get, and then not liking it because of course you don't because it yeah. tastes like piss. So <laughs> and then just spending all their money on spending all their money on junk food instead. Yeah. I mean, I think I certainly can relate with that. I don't know, know about you, Chris, as a fellow teetotaler. Yeah, absolutely. Beer tastes like piss. You heard it here first. It's just it's just awful. It's Fun, awful. Either. Fun fact, the uh, Romans used to brush their teeth with piss. That was in the film. <laughs> Fun fact, beer uh, actually tastes quite nice. Oh, my God. <laughs> Whatever it's beer marketing t- board. It's an acquired taste, isn't it? It's an acquired like taste. Movies in the DCEU. Oh. That's a joke. Nice. That's a joke. Nailed you. As oh, a joke. You're going to get some I know, angry letters I know. Now. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> I like a lot of the movies in the DCEU. Phew. That, that, that headed them off of the past, didn't it? <laughs> Speaking of the DCEU, the end of the movie mm. and the very fact that this takes place so obviously in a world in which the Henry Cavill Superman and the Ben Affleck Batman mm. are front and centre mm-hmm. yeah, is and, interesting. And, and I have a bit of a problem here and I think it's I don't think it's malicious on anyone's part I think it's just not particularly thinking about it at all but so Freddy uh, Freddy wears Superman and Aquaman t-shirts quite frequently through the film he has obviously a batarang in his in his room he has a Superman bullet he has uh, headlines most of which appear to relate to Superman there there is a Wonder Woman doll on a shelf in the background in one shot precisely but there's a whole lot of Batman and Superman stuff everywhere else and I felt it was a bit weird that they were leaving out one of their more successful characters I just thought it was a bit weird yeah I agree um, he, he had a t-shirt he had a Wonder Woman t-shirt as well who Freddie? yeah when in, in a couple of the scenes you no, can see it's the W he, and it's got the sword down the middle 
He's got the Aquaman one. I didn't see a Wonder He's Woman one. He's got Aquaman as well. as well. He's got a Wonder Woman one. I didn't see that. Okay, fine. I Don't mean, Freddy seemed like the sort of proxy for the target audience, right? Like he's but sort that's of that's like, it, isn't it? Why should the target audience only be male? Is, I'm, what I'm well, what I'm saying is maybe he's one of those people who you know moaned about Wonder Woman and how you oh know, no he wouldn't be women <laughs> no. shouldn't, shouldn't have their own films Freddy would never I like Freddy you never um, know they, they, they wear all over the toy shop though so that's something yeah that's true and I, I really like the nod to Big uh, yes. in, yeah, in yeah. that scene as well I kind of wish that they had actually just started belting out chopsticks <laughs> on the piano uh, isn't the FAO Schwartz closed now in New York? Yes, you can't is, yeah. you can't go in there and do that anymore. So that was interesting. And I know that Philadelphia is it's the comic book thing as well. So it's it's so Philadelphia is the setting in the comic books as well. But it's weird. That was weird to me, if I'm honest, because the DC world, the DC universe, and the DC EU is so. It's almost like it's overlaid on top of ours, you know. So obviously, you have Central City, you have mm-hmm. Gotham, you have Metropolis. So to have a real world city just felt just jarred a little bit with me and also to have Sly Stallone clearly (laughs) existing in that world was also interesting so does that mean that he's appeared in Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 in this world so my head is melting (laughs) it's just melting (laughs) a little bit I don't I don't know if there's a I don't know if there's an MCU in the DCEU. <laughs> like, that would be weird, wouldn't it? That'd be pretty funny. Would, would you have liked, this is the question I, I opened up the interview with, would you have liked at any point, in all the different names that they, they bat around for Shazam, hmm. would you have liked Captain Marvel to be one of those names? Even just written down on a piece of paper as a kind of possibility. Well, they had zapped in America, so it's not that far off. <laughs> it's funny, uh, Kim Newman, who wrote the, the review for this, He, I think he said on Twitter that there's two Captain Marvel movies out this year uh-huh. that don't mention the name Captain Marvel. No, they don't. That's, it's so surreal. Yeah. And they're both out in the same, what, in the, within a couple of months of each other. Yeah. I d- I'm really confused why... It's, I, a, it's the, a hard title to get to. Yes. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's not yes. your obvious sort of... What should we call you? I know we shall call you Captain Marvel. Why would we do that? I mean, where does that come from? Shazam is equally stupid. But Shazam is the wizard's name, and that sounds like a wizard's name to me. He can never say his own name. Yeah, he can never say his own name. name He can never introduce himself. Although I did actually like that moment in the final fight at the end where he kind of de-shazams and then rolls under (laughs) Mark Strong and then re-shazams on the other side was quite cool. But you could, like, surely I was thinking the easiest way to defeat Shazam is just to, like, put a uh, stuff a rag in his mouth or something, you know, like like getting really dark. No, if you, you stop him from talking, then he can't. But that's what they try. They, he he tries with drowning. The, with a drowning. Yeah. Bit, yeah, but that's like that's his kryptonite, isn't it? Like, so your suggestion, to, John. Let me just get this absolutely clear. To defeat Shazam, you want to kidnap a fourteen-year-old boy. Yes. Gag him. Yes. Possibly bind him. Yep. So he can't speak. Yeah, that's. Yeah. I don't see any problems with that. No, I think no that's totally fine. The Empire Podcast has long condoned that sort of behaviour. Uh, no, no. no. As I think just lawyer, to be safe, we should gag Chris. all 14-year-olds. No, uh, again. Like I always get condoned and condemned mixed up. <laughs> condemned. 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 is the one you're looking for, yes. We condemn that so kind of behaviour. Don't do that at home. Okay, so let's talk about the, the end of the movie, uh, the third act in which Billy's foster family all become... I mean, what's the technical term Shazam? for this? They're called the Shazam family. The Shazam family? <laughs> I can't even say that. The Shazamly. The sh- yeah, the Shazamly. Come on. Oh, no. They, uh, that, that was one of their hashtags. Well, <laughs> hashtags. Was it? Shazamly. Yeah. Okay. Shazamly. All right. Well, that's, I like that. Let's go with that. So they all turn the, into the Shazamly. And, uh, and if you've heard the interview with David F. Sandberg and Peter Safran, you will know that the casting of Adam Brody and DJ Catrona was actually accidental. What do we think uh, of that? Um, I thought it was really, really nice that yeah. finally they got their superhero day in the sun. That was great fun. I thought that was... To be honest, that was a genuine surprise. I didn't see it coming at all. And it was a really nice surprise. I just thought it was really fun. All the way through the film, I was actually thinking Freddie should have been the one to have got superpowers. And he thought so too. And so yes. to, to actually <laughs> he's have... He's much more interesting. <laughs> he, he's, he's like genuinely in, into superheroes. He's obsessed with them. And then to have his... It, I mean, it's literally wish fulfillment, isn't yeah. it? Um, and that's so joyous. And I, I was thinking if I was a kid watching this and I was that kind of kid, I was like a superhero obsessed kid. Mm. And then suddenly his dreams come true. I mean, that's just like manna from heaven, isn't it? It's so much fun. 
I think as well, um, Adam Brody is perfect casting mm. for him as well. Like as, yeah. a, as an older Jack Dylan Grazer, they look exactly the same. Yeah, I think that's um, mm. that was a really nice note, and especially Adam Brody being such a funny guy. Anyway, yeah. kind of that motor be, mouth sort of. Yeah, it just felt like a really strong fit. I really love that moment where where they all kind of get the powers and when they all shout Billy instead of Shazam. Really made me laugh. <laughs> Say my name, Billy. But I do kind of wish that in that fight that they'd done a bit more with them and I don't think it was maybe made clear I think that each of them has one of the powers right They'd, he has all of the powers yes. but each of them how gets one work? how does he so get all the powers so I think Freddy can fly Darla is super fast Pedro's super strong obviously because yes, he's holding he's up the thingy buffed up but I, I feel like they didn't quite establish that no, that clearly. was not made clear because you do see Darla. At, she's at the top of the of the Ferris, Ferris wheel. wheel at one point. So if if she can't fly, I mean, she's got some extraordinary balance yeah, while she's, she's going really I think fast. she was doing like a flash type thing of like I'm running so fast that no, I can like. I get it, but like yeah, you know, gravity yeah. still kind of applies. Mm. So I, I think I think that was not well communicated. I know that is the way it is in the comics, mm. um, where you know he has everything and everybody else kind of gets. That's unfair. I know it does seem that's a bit unfair and un- un- unright, doesn't it? But I did, I did kind of see that coming from the whole mention of my brothers and sisters used to <laughs> used to occupy these thrones. I thought that was like, oh, that would be cool. Um, and I was frantically trying to match up the number of thrones and the number of kids. I think there's still one empty. It's all a bit Care Paravel there at the end, isn't it? You know, a bit, yeah, a bit Narnia. Think, yeah, I think yes. There's seven thrones. He's he's got one in yeah. the middle and the three on either side. And there's only six of them. Yeah. So there is room for somebody else to be added in. Who's say, that going to be? Who's that? and we do know there is going to be. Mind. Uh, yes. <laughs> I don't think he's going to be taking one of the thrones if all goes well. What would he turn into? Like a butterfly, maybe? <laughs> a beautiful butterfly. Yes. Um, so he's, he, this Mr. Mind is, of course, the caterpillar that we glimpse in the very opening mm. scene and then who reappears in the um, credit sting, mid-credit sting. He is um, a mutant caterpillar who has some, some telepathic powers and uses a voice box to speak. Yeah, I also he, admire the chutzpah of having a post-credit sting on a DC movie featuring Mark Strong as the bad guy, given what happened with Green Lantern. Like, you, <laughs> that's tempting fate, isn't it? To set up your sequel so blatantly with Mark Strong. I think if they were worried about tempting fate, they wouldn't have cast Mark Strong as their bad guy. <laughs> so I think that's okay. Um, but I, I just have to read this bit out about Mr. Mind, who has been described as having the body of a lowly worm, the conscience of a Hitler, and the brain of a genius. Hang on a second. Yeah. That's also my Wikipedia entry. <laughs> <laughs> well, really? The brain of a genius? Really? I think so, Helen. Really? <laughs> yeah. Uh, excuse the, me, the, I've the, just got to go and edit Wikipedia. No, I just need to verify with an independent adjudicator, i.e. me. And yes, he has agreed that I, Chris Hewitt, is a genius. <laughs> wow. <laughs> um, okay, let's talk about uh, where this... We talked about it a little bit, then we got sidetracked, as we often do, about how this fits into the DCEU. Mm. And I'm really intrigued by by the end of the movie. I think it's a lovely ending. I think uh, having Superman, a.k.a. Zachary Levi's stunt double, uh, <laughs> thrust his frankly ludicrously muscled chest uh, into the frame is is a really nice touch. Ending on Superman, as you know from listening to the interview, Henry Cavill, there had been talks to have him cameo, didn't quite work out. Uh, Superman was meant to have dialogue in that scene. It was meant to finish, and I'm glad that they didn't. I'm mm. glad that they finished this and this. But the question is... Cavill's on his way out as Superman. We know that. Ben Affleck's about to be replaced. They seem to be moving away from the the team-based dynamic that was probably a bad idea in the first place. Build up these things using baby steps. So what does that end mean? What, can, can there be another Superman in this universe or are they all going to have to reboot, reboot, reboot? Well, I don't think any any of the... I don't think this one does have to reboot, does it? In order for that to reboot because we haven't seen a face. So this one could quite neatly fit in with a new superhero, a Superman mm-hmm. um, without any problems. Um, I think that the DCEU seems to find its feet by doing by each film doing their own thing and by by stopping putting sort of the cart before the horse and that has been paying off for them you know you know you compare the absolutely disastrous box office of Justice League I mean okay yes 700 million just under would seem quite good for most films but I'm sorry for a Justice League movie that's super bad um, and oh, super bad uh, actually did about did, did much better you're <laughs> yeah. right super bad did much better um, everybody go see Booksmart which is coming soon anyway um, my point is that uh I think they've actually found their feet by just focusing on each character and getting the tone for that each time. So Wonder Woman did brilliantly, Aquaman did brilliantly. I think this one's doing pretty darn well. So hmm. I think it seems to be a better 
better approach. I okay. like that for us, the, the, the cameo is a bit of world building, it's tying things in, but it also works entirely within the context of the film and that character that that um, Freddy, his favourite superhero is Superman. That's his guy. Like, he's got as much as he's got the batarang all of the headlines are superman he's got the bullet so it's just a little fun note to end on i think that that feels very tied in to to the characters in this film rather than just trying to be a bit of a an olive branch to the rest of the universe yeah i'd hope that any future shazam films uh they they stick to their own stories so much i don't i don't think shazam would play well with the rest of the justice league i feel like he's his own can, his own beast it can be really good though like there's been a whole thing in the comics and the animated series at times when the justice league and the justice league juniors have been kind of like the justice league proper have been worried about what are they we're going to do with all these super powered teenagers in our command and shazam has has volunteered to be in charge of them <laughs> with generally disastrous results because he's also a big kid but they don't know that entirely <laughs> anyway it's really really charming there is a lot of potential for really fun stuff mm. especially if they introduce the sort of yeah younger justice league members mm. i mean but crazy having i mean superman and wonder woman are already massively overpowered mm. and throwing shazam into the mix given that he is essentially superman but this is the problem with all the DC characters. Yeah. Like, you know, if uh, if you take the sort of, you know, the Green Lantern potentially is not that far off there as well. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Aquaman, yeah. at least in his element or near it, is not that far off. I mean, it's ridiculous how much power almost all of them have. And yet you have to give Batman something good to do because he's everybody's fucking favourite. I'm good at DIY. <laughs> you know, it's just, I, I, it, it's, yeah, they're all too powerful and yeah. so I don't see that this makes any significant and difference too sexy that's, I mean that's probably true sure yeah. just one last thing though the, the, the fact that Superman shows up in this world actually made me a little bit sad that Henry Cavill appears to be on the on the uh, the way out because the the way that the DCEU is evolving and I don't mean that it's evolving in terms of it's moving towards an ultimate another Justice League movie but the way that it's becoming slightly lighter and more fun and the way that his Superman was towards the end of Justice League, I would have liked to see that Cavill Superman given a fair shot in a slightly lighter universe where it's not so grim dark all the time. Mm. Mm. That would be nice to see. Um, nice to see how he would have bounced off Zachary Levi, who I think, you know, we talked about the fact that he's not really playing Billy Batson. That's that's fine. He's playing an excitable, exuberant kid. He's terrific, though, isn't he? Oh, he's fantastic. It's funny, actually, the um, comparisons to Big. His performance does remind me a little bit of Tom Hanks. He he really gets those mannerisms and their sort of excitableness and slightly sort of jitteriness. Um, and he's just a joy to watch. He's really fun. I think some of the best scenes in this movie are when they're exploring their superpowers and there's a real just like sort of fizz to it all. And and so much of that comes from his performance. I think he's mm. he's he's, mm. he's brilliantly cast, even if yeah, perhaps not quite as matched to to the younger Billy Batson. Yeah, but then maybe his Shazam would have been a downer. Yeah, <laughs> who knows? I think there's just something about Zachary Levi as well that as soon as you see him, something about the energy of, of his performance, mm. you immediately get who that character is. It, it feels a bit like I don't know when you saw Downey Jr. as as Tony Stark, and you just go. Within two minutes, you're like, cool, I get mm. this. I get who this guy is. And I think he just seems like the ideal guy to play this role. He's and terrific. I love the scene in the uh, in the convenience store where he's <laughs> asking to be shot in the face. Yeah. <laughs> Which is terrific. Um, I was a little bit worried about bullet ricochets. Yes, I thought be yes a, that, me too. Yeah. Because, you know, take out the clerk or maybe smash Freddy in the face. And that's that. You don't want to do that. Have that your, your fun, feel-good, family-friendly superhero <laughs> flick, do you? That would be a bit darker. I, I really love the, uh, the scene as well where they where they sneak out of school and he pretends to be his own dad or something. <laughs> he's just back from the business office. <laughs> so good. And he's visibly wearing a light on his chest. <laughs> yeah, he's got a big coat on though. <laughs> Yeah, because there's plenty of potential, I think, for mm. for a sequel. Mm. I think, actually, for me, I I can see him teaming up with the Justice League as the kind of, they're all proper adults and they have powers, but they're kind of of the right mind to use them, whereas he's going to be blagging it the whole way because he's got all the powers, but he he's a 14-year-old kid. Whereas I think a sequel, I'm, I'd be really intrigued to see what they do because so much of the fun here is him testing the powers and the initial kind of, 
you're you're a kid and now you're a massive superhero so i wonder what they would do with a sequel to kind of keep that that newness and that Mm. energy Mm. coming one direction this is going to move in the future is obviously black adam and there's a reference to Black Adam. I kind of missed it, but I think we see him earlier on whenever oh, really? Shazam, apparently Shazam is talking about, he's talking through the, the history of Shazam and the wizard and blah, all that sort of stuff. Apparently you see a Black Adam oh, type in, figure. In like the hologram. Uh, yeah. Yes, in the little, yeah, okay, that's Black Adam. That's Black Adam. Mm-hmm. So the former champion who ruined everything by releasing the seven sins upon the world. Is Black Adam. Oh. I did not realise that. And he's okay. been around for a really long time. So, there is going to be a Shazam 2. The screenwriter, Henry Gayden, it was announced that he's going to be coming back for the sequel. And The Rock's been talking about the Black Adam movie. And I don't know whether Shazam would appear in that or whether you'd want to see that or whether you'd want to see Black Adam movie and then not even Shazam 2, but maybe a, a movie down the line where the two of them can, mm. can either duke it out or duke it out for a while and realise... Both their mums are called Shazama, and then they're fine. I mean, any film where you've got Zachary Levi and The Rock together on screen, I think would be a huge amount of fun. So, gotcha. um, yeah. yeah, that'd be great. Did you see Dwayne Johnson had a producer credit on this as well? Yes. Yeah. Which yeah. I thought was an interesting sort of... Well, because he's been involved for so long mm. in, the, in the sort of Black Adam, yeah. and presumably the development of this as well. Yeah. To be so. honest, I thought Black Adam had gone away. I wasn't sure either, yeah. So it's, I, they may have been waiting to see how people responded to this. It'd be interesting to see where he fits in. Where, do you think he's being set up as a villain and then does the twist into anti-hero and gets his own movie? Or is he is he going to be the anti-hero that from w- the start? That would seem the logical way to do it for me. That would yeah. seem to have him introduce him maybe as a villain in Shazam 2 and then spin him off. But presumably that that's kind of the route that they've almost rejected by announcing a Black Adam movie. So I'm, I'm really yeah. confused by that. I don't know. And it's weird to think of Dwayne Johnson as a, the baddie in someone else's movie as well, because he's sort of so, he's the biggest star in Hollywood. So phys- start- physically, yes. That's how he started off. In I guess, yeah. So yeah. maybe, maybe. We shall see. Uh, but right now, that is it. On that note, we have to end our Shazam! Exclamation mark. Spoiler special double exclamation mark uh, our next spoiler special hmm I think uh, there's nothing really is there this big wasteland of releases nothing in April Godzilla no just maybe Godzilla King guess, of the Monsters yeah. we might do one for that is maybe it, Aladdin I don't know film out on um, April 25th or 26th 8th um, grade 8th grade 8th grade uh, our next spoiler special yes. will be for 8th grade with yes. the writer and director of that film Bo Burn hang on a second <laughs> <laughs> wait a minute although what? I would love that that would be great it's going to be Avengers Endgame and of course it is. it's going to be us trying to make something work with some people who worked in the film, but I think it's probably going to be just the four of us, if that's your bag, sitting around a table, and maybe we'll try and beat the runtime. Maybe we won't. Let's see how it goes. But that's going to be Avengers Endgame. The regular podcast, in case you don't already listen and subscribe, is out every single Friday. Uh, and if you do listen and subscribe, if you could leave a lovely review on iTunes, that'd be great. Five stars? five stars give it five stars you fuckers um that would be that would be nice that would be lovely but until we meet again until our next regular podcast or our next spoiler special it is goodbye from john nugent goodbye it is goodbye from ben travis goodbye and back to the business office (laughs) (laughs) i like it i like it uh it's goodbye from helen o'hara i would like to buy some of your finest beer please (laughs) i'm kidding beer tastes like piss tastes good but was there a point where you thought it tastes like piss? Your first, yeah, of your course. first taste every, of beer. Every first beer tastes like piss. But you right. have to, you have to get past that. Or, you have to get past and the, I want to offer stage. you this option: you could just not. Yeah. No, no, I love it. <laughs> I love it. I've been conditioned. <laughs> if you drink enough piss, does it start to taste like beer? Yes. Mmm, this tastes like beer. <laughs> every first piss tastes oh, bad. No. What? Oh my god. No. Especially if you drink it straight from the tap. Finish the podcast. Oh, yes, please. No. please, please finish the podcast. Anyway, I hope you've enjoyed listening to this family-friendly podcast. (laughs) I've been Chris here. Thank you so much for listening. Magic 8-Ball says... (laughs) I like doesn't look good. (laughs) Not good. (laughs) (laughs) Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.